as you heard, the topic is that I charge you to father the next generation. And I just want to say that that isn't just for those who are, you saw the, you saw the four, was it five generations there? It must have been four. It couldn't be five. <laughs> four generations in front of us. Fathering is a mandate in the Bible which is not just restricted to people who are above 50 years old, but for each one of us. Yesterday we heard so well from, you know, the millennials, the zennials, and, you know, I just want to say, if you are not a babe in Christ, this mandate is for you and for each one of us. It is just so important that we do that. Because what is fathering actually? Fathering is molding, developing what you've learned, pouring that into someone else's life. 2 Timothy 2.2 tells us so plainly, I, I'm sure you all know that so well. Look for faithful men who will continue to do that. And I think that's just an important task. I, I sometimes I wonder when I look at my own life, I just wonder, Lord, how can you trust me to do that? But remember, it's him that has made us competent. He's the one who's made us competent for this task. And we are totally dependent on him. As we've been fathered, we father. And I want to tell you, there have been some lovely men in uh, our lives, men and women, men, uh, you know, but... Uh, Friends, dear friends, uh, you know, I started late in this journey. I, I came to the Lord maybe when I was nearly 30, but I've had friends who've stood alongside me, who've fathered me, and uh, even when I came to, into the call, I was leading a church, there was a particular time when, I, when we just felt like we wanted to leave, and there was another dear couple from here, senior to us, but such dear friends who came alongside. They left everything here to be with us for three months in India. And they just helped us through that stage. Now I know, and I speak this from experience, how important it is again to stand with those that God has given you. To do the same with them. You see, in life, we're going to stumble we're going to fall. We're going to have doubts. We may even go the wrong way. But we need someone to come alongside us, reassure us. You know, like Donnie was saying, he gave that young um, boy that knife and he went and cut himself. <laughs> and he said, hey, I didn't know what to say. You know, he went and cut himself. But then he came alongside. They, they, they said, well, look, that's okay. That happens. You know, I mean, mistakes are made. But this is the way you've got to do it. So, I said I have the privilege here of uh, some young people who are here with us. Uh, part of our India Nepal team. And, uh, you know, it's just been so wonderful just to see their lives. If you saw them at one particular stage, you wouldn't have believed what they are today. And I think that's a similar thing with me. But what are the things that have really spoken to me in a deep way which have helped me to uh, stick to this job, realize the importance of what we do? And I want to say one is stewardship. In leadership, 
And in fathering or mothering, we must understand stewardship. Stewardship is one of the very heart, it's a heart, it's a key, it's a center of Christian leadership. What is stewardship? Well, stewardship is when you manage property, assets, resources that don't belong to you. But the second thing is, you actually add value, you help those to grow, you protect those resources. And the third thing is that you are, as a steward, those don't belong to you, those resources and assets. So you're wholly accountable to your master. Keller puts it beautifully, and, and it's just really stuck with me. You know, he, he says, stewardship, if you, if you actually use the Greek word, it's oikonomos, house ruler. And we know that, uh, you know, just like Potiphar and Joseph's story, you know that, but there were times where, um, you know, people had large, large estates back in history, and they would actually choose a slave, and they would actually allow him to run everything for them, just like Joseph did for Potiphar. So they managed huge estates, they managed people, they managed wealth and money, and the thing there was that they had real authority in their hand. You know, when we are given resources, whether it's people, whether it's wealth, whatever it is, it's, we have real authority over those things, over those resources. But the thing is that that person who was a steward, he was always a slave. He was always completely accountable to his master. Paul calls his particular ministry, he calls it stewardship. And he, in fact, he says all Christian ministry is stewardship. So stewardship actually is whatever, spiritual, physical um, things that he's actually given you, people, wealth, whatever. What do we do? We have to grow them. We have to make sure we are not lazy. Matthew 25, we don't bury that uh, we use it for the master's benefit. We don't exploit that for our own benefit. So each one of us actually has been given that very task. Now, it's very interesting that Murray Harris, he says that, you know, very often the word uh, servant has been, sorry, the word uh, doulos has been translated as servant in our New Testament. But the word actually is doulos, which is slave. What's the difference between a servant and slave? See, we've got to understand that the heart of stewardship is you're a ruler, but you're a slave. So what, what is the difference? Servant, if you're a servant, your obedience to your master is conditional. You don't like him, you don't like the job, you don't like where you are, you say, I quit, I don't like the pay, this is too hard for me, I quit. But a slave cannot quit, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what, he is actually being commissioned for that period of time, especially slavery in those days. You just can't quit. Remember, our mandate for fathering, we just can't quit. We just got to do it, no matter what the circumstances are. 
And we get this beautiful example again. Uh, you know, who is our example of leadership? It is uh, our stewardship. It is Jesus Christ. He's the Lord who became a slave for us. And again, Timothy Keller, he says, look, what, what is this? This Lord of the covenant, what is a covenant? A covenant is when you enter, there's a relationship, but there are requirements on both ends. This Lord enters into a relationship with us, a covenant with us. We have to do certain things, some requirements. And he said, I will do the rest. And man didn't keep his part of the bargain. So here he becomes the last Adam. He becomes man and he comes and he fulfills what man couldn't do. And he did that even to the point of death. So my dear friends, we get that beautiful example from there. That this king of kings who loves us, who left everything, emptied himself, came out here. And he actually, in a sense, was a total steward, a lord who became a slave. He wouldn't quit, even, to the, even till death. Now, I just want to move on just to, into a little thing. There's something I learned in my, in my um, uh, pastoring experience, in my leading experience. There was another gentleman in my life, a senior person. Uh, and he taught me these two principles, you know. How do you look for leaders? How do you know who's the next person you're going to father? And uh, he gave me these two words, and it's revelation and observation. Maybe you're familiar with that, but it, it has helped me over the years. And we see that revelation is when, you know, Samuel was actually... Um, charged by God to go to Jesse's household, and he was said, well, go and anoint. You know, the amazing thing is he just said, anoint the, the person that I will declare to you. And so Jesse rocks up, out, uh, uh, sorry, Samuel rocks up to Jesse's place, all his sons are paraded before him, and of course, the Lord says, none of them, none of them, none of them, and then he asks, finally, is there another one? He said, oh, yes, 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 you know, looking after the sheep didn't even consider him. He says, call him. And the Lord said, this is the man, David. Revelation. I know in my own journey, you know, when the Lord has shown me uh, a few people, I've just watched that person and said, are you sure, Lord? I mean, you know, the, the things I see, are you sure, Lord? Uh, have I heard you correctly? And you see several years down the line, and, you know, as you work with them, as you father them, you just see what happens. Now, look at David's life. God called him, but he didn't come into his com calling completely for a number of years. He went through the school of hard knocks. Saul wanting to kill him, running away from them, hardships to suffer. But that was all schooling. That was all the time of actually teaching. Till that time that he was released into his calling. And you see, it's a similar thing. God reveals to us someone. And then we observe their life. We stand alongside them. We help them. We mentor them. They fall. We help them to stand up. 
And then when we see the 1 Timothy 3, the Titus 1, the 1 Peter 5 in their lives, the leadership qualifications, when we start seeing those, we say, wow, yes, this is the time to release them. Are you with me? <laughs> so remember that each one of us has to go through this sort of process. It's, it's God the Father actually working in us. You know, um, there's uh, Larry Crabb, he said this particular thing. He said, look, man is really, we all, we're looking for a sense of security, significance, identity in something in the world. That gives us our dignity, a sense of dignity. And if we are looking for it, you see, like someone said, if... Uh, you get your sense of significance or security from money, then money is your God. And if we look to anything, and you know, we've been in the world, we've been saved, but we carry the vestiges of all those sort of things. And if we are looking for this security, significance, identity, and anything else, then be assured God wants you to be totally and he wants us to be totally dependent on him. And he is going to remove that. And so Larry Crabb, he actually, uh, this is very interesting because I tell you, this happens to each one of us. He says, look, he, he first, if he sees that in you, he'll come and break that out of you. If you're getting SSI, security, significance, identity, anywhere else, he's going to break that out of you. If you've got any other ambition, any other agenda, he's going to remove that from you. And that brokenness leads us to a place of repentance. Oh, Lord, please, I want to give you all the glory. Please help me. Lord, I changed my mind. Repentance leads us to abandonment, where we, we come to this point and we said, here I am, Lord. Here's my family. Here are my children. Here's my ministry. I'm a lump of clay in your hand. Do with me as you will. And it's in this place that he starts revealing to you his clear will. Abandonment leads to confidence. You see, now you start walking with uh, not, not arrogance, not pride, but it's in a confidence. Yes, this is the Lord. This is what he's called me to do. And you have a peace where you are. And there's, there's a joy in your heart. And then this confidence leads to release. The Lord just opens up those things that he's calling you into. But you see what the crucial thing is. You see, that's why fathering is so important. You see what the crucial thing is? That now he knows you're not going to use or abuse the sheep, but you're going to love them and care for them. And so that's why we, we, we go through a process. Our father wants to make sure that we carry his heart to love. I mean, he sent his son to die on the cross, to be buried so that he could have a harvest of sons and daughters. And he just wants to make sure that we carry that heart there. And I just, I'll, I'll just uh, end with this. You know, someone once said that don't trust a leader unless he doesn't walk with a limp. We've had to have had our wrestles with the Lord and allowed him to just actually prune us. 
I was reflecting on this verse, you know, from John 3. And uh, it's just quite amazing here. John the Baptist, uh, someone asked him, well, listen, now, you know, the person that you were telling us about, he's baptizing and everyone's going to him. And his answer is really remarkable. I wonder if it's up here. I don't have it on me. Verses 29 and 30. And he says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. But I, his friend, hear his voice and greatly rejoice. See, my friends, when we are fathering and mentoring someone, we go through everything, the pain they go through. When we start hearing the voice of the bridegroom through them, you know that your job is nearly complete. <laughs> You've got them to that place. You see, just like... Uh, you see, what's, what's our glory? Just like uh, Christ is the glory of the Father. Similarly, it says the husband, uh, the wife is the glory of the husband because if you love her, she blossoms like a garden and you walk into a lovely garden and it's, you see it blossoming and blooming, you actually give glory to the gardener. You know, wow, who's kept this? And, and literally like that. And what is our glory in fathering? When we see them coming into the fullness of what God has for them and the voice of the bridegroom through them. That is our glory. So friends, I charge you, I charge myself, let's father the next generation. Help us.